0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the 18th chapter from the gospel that you heard read, the 18th chapter of Matthew, verse 14 in particular, in which our Lord Jesus says, It is not the will of my Father that one of these little ones should perish. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Especially you fathers and mothers and on this grandparents' day, You grandparents, who with me count all children and especially our children's children to be among the most precious and dearest things to us upon earth, even as we count our children to be that as well. Make no mistake about it, our Lord Jesus puts a premium, he puts the highest value on the souls of children. Indeed, in our gospel for today, he calls them greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Greatest not because of anything that they've done to earn themselves this superlative title. As though it were being presented to them as some kind of an educational degree that they had earned. Or though it were some sort of a promotion that was being given by an employer. Or some sort of a certificate or metal or ribbon that was being awarded by a military command not at all jesus calls the little children greatest because of the unassuming attitude and the dependent posture that they have as they stand in the presence of the lord their greatness is in what they haven't done not in what they have done After all, what does St. Matthew say? He says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then answering in the illustrative mode, our Lord so often uses things about him as illustrations of truths that he's teaching. Our Lord, in that illustrative mode that he uses, he calls himself, to himself, a child, a pideon in the Greek. A little child, an infant, a toddler, one who can barely stand and walk on his own. An infant, in fact, so small that Jesus proceeds, it says in the Greek, to his, to stand the child, to place the child, to put the child, because he can't stand in his own strength, to put the child, to stand the child in the midst of the disciples that's how dependent that little child was upon the Lord Jesus can't you see the little child lifted by Jesus from its mother's arms as he takes him and then stands him in the midst of those disciples or perhaps just standing there watching the little child waddle over to him barely able to stand on his own you want to see greatness in the kingdom of heaven Jesus says well here it is here it is right here note well dear disciples Note well, dear disciples, arguing about yourselves over who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Note well how this little Pideon, this little infant, this little child, stands where he stands. He stands where he stands because I stood him there. That's why he's there. I called him to myself and I put him there. And is he presumptuous about where he stands and about where he is? presumptuous about the title that's given him greatest in the kingdom of heaven, arrogant, big headed, audacious, is he insolent or rash or proud, not at all, he doesn't even know what the title means, all the little tyke knows is that he's at where he's at because Jesus picked him up and stood him there, he's got his little eyes focused on Jesus, because he knows that's where his standing strength is at and without him he would surely collapse and he would surely fall wobbly little legs and all perish the thought that one of these unpretentious one of these unassuming little ones should perish Jesus says indeed Jesus says it's not the will of my father that even one of them should perish note well the sense of caution that's embedded here in what jesus is saying he's saying that they can perish contrary to to those who would say otherwise in our day he's saying that they can perish little ones like this he is saying are perishable if they weren't there'd be no need for our lord to caution his hearers saying what he says in the verses right before our text where he says whoever soul in the greek whoever entraps them whoever trips them up whoever trips one of these little ones who believe in me who believe in me causing them to fall away it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened about his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea millstones were not life jackets Millstones wouldn't buoy you up like a ring buoy that would be thrown out to you at sea if someone was drowning. And notice too, he says, at the high seas. This is at the greatest depths of the seas, not the shallow end, but at the greatest depths of the seas, the high seas. Millstones would weigh you down, they'd sink you all the way down to the bottom. And the millstone Jesus referred to, wasn't even the ordinary type of millstone that was used for grinding in Palestine back then a couple of feet perhaps in diameter that women themselves as they would turn the the grain to make meal for the day they'd be able to turn it themselves with their own strength that's not what he's speaking of here even that though the smaller one two feet in circumference hang that about someone's neck and toss them into the high seas and they would go and sink quickly to the bottom but Jesus isn't even using that Palestinian sort. It's interesting what he uses, he uses the Egyptian sort of millstone. That's what he speaks of here, how do we know? Because Saint Matthew attaches an interesting adjective to the word millstone. It's the Greek word onikos which refers to a donkey. The mulo's, the millstone of which Jesus speaks, was of the Egyptian sort, the heavy sort, the sort that weighed hundreds of pounds because it was so large that it had to be turned by a donkey. It was huge. What does this mean for all of us? Cause one of these little ones who believe in me to fall from that relationship to me which I have graciously established with them through holy baptism when I placed my name upon them and it would be better for you to have Amolos Anikos, the, the donkey drawn millstone placed about your neck and be tossed into the high seas Jesus says by false doctrines by errant and wrong and misleading teachings By simple neglect, cause one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away in the depths of the high seas would be preferred for you to the lowest depths of hell? You see, it's not the will of my Father that even one of these little ones who believe in me should perish. So don't neglect to nurture the faith in me which I've created within them. I have entrusted their spiritual care to you even as I have their physical care. So don't set before them some smorgasbord of religious ideas and concepts and philosophies with the irresponsible notion that they'll be able to choose what's right for them. You don't do that with your children with the natural and the physical food you give them and say here's the smorgasbord you choose what you want to eat as though they would know. Why would you do it with the food that nurtures their souls unto eternal life? As Jesus asks on another occasion, suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish, are you going to give him a snake instead? Or suppose that he would ask you for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion instead? No responsible parent will play Russian Roulette with the soul of their daughter or son because no responsible parent will exceed that which God has given him to do. No parental responsibility exceeds that of nurturing the faith which God has created within those children. Nothing that a parent does is more important than that and so it was that Luther once said in Luther's typically candid straightaway fashion getting right to the heart of the matter without mincing any words Luther says nothing can more easily earn hell for a man than the improper training of his own children and parents can perform no more damaging bit of work than to neglect their offspring and permit them to live as they please it is indeed Luther says highly necessary therefore that every married person regard the soul of his child with greater care and concern than even the flesh of his child which has come from him, and that he consider the child nothing less than a precious eternal treasure entrusted to his protection by God so that the devil, the world, and the flesh may not steal and destroy it. And Luther's not only concerned about the content of what children should be taught in the Christian faith, but he even speaks to the issue of how parents should teach the faith and other matters of life to their children. In a day and an age when the rod was not spared, lest the child be spoiled, Luther also cautioned temperance and tenderness as parents get down even with their children and speak to them about these critical eternal things. And so he said, children are indeed to be chastened in love But parents are not to vent their furious temper upon them, unconcerned about the way to correct the error of their children. For when a child's spirit has been totally put down and intimidated, he will be of no use for anything, and he will despair of everything, and is timid in doing and undertaking anything. With the greatest care, a child should be trained to have the right fear, to fear that which God would have him fear, but not to be timid for this is harmful for later life." Unquote. Respect, you see, that's what Luther's talking about, the right kind of regard for authority, whether it's the authority of parents that God has placed as his lieutenants to care for them and bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, the, the right care and the right regard for the government as we hear Saint Paul talk about in the Epistle lesson today in Romans chapter 10 the right regard for that of the church, for the authority of the church, which through the pastoral office exercises its God-given authority of warning the sinner, evident in today's Old Testament lesson, and forgiving also the penitent or retaining the sins of the impenitent sinner, as is clearly indicated in today's gospel, respect for whatever authority has been established by God, be it in the family, the church, or society. Authority which is always concerned about reaching out and seeking after in supportive and in nurturing love all of those whom God and his wise providence over our world has subjected to our care. Speaking of reaching out in love and seeking out those chastised lest they despair it reminds me of the story of the mother who was laboring so hard in the kitchen preparing a special recipe for supper and her little boy was giving her a hard time running in running out of the kitchen ignoring every verbal threat that she gave ignoring every warning that she gave him he kept on running through the kitchen and then it happened then running defiantly by her at full speed he knocked that special dish which his mother had labored so painstakingly to make right off the kitchen counter and onto the kitchen floor where it spread itself out in every direction Mom grabbed the broom, she took out after that little guy with vigor that surprised him to such a degree that he saw no choice but to go and shelter himself under the front porch of the house, which he promptly did, and exasperated with the situation, his mother said, you'd better stay there till your dad comes home, because if you come out of there, I'm going to give you a close-up view of my broom. And the little guy was petrified and he stayed there. Dad came home about an hour later, greeted by a weary and a war-worn wife, trying to put something for supper on the table. Honey, she said, your son, your son needs some discipline, good discipline, you better go do something about the boy because I can't. And so off the father went out the front door, got on his hands and knees, crawled under the porch, flashlight in hand, searching for his son. Finally, he found him cowering over in the corner where the broom couldn't reach him son are you okay the father said to which came the instant reply yeah dad I'm okay but is she after you too (laughs) parents and grandparents too seeking out their children sometimes indeed on their hands and their knees as they approached them to bring them out of their the darkness of their hiding places where sin would have them stay rather than face the light of day and the instruction and the discipline the forgiveness even which always comes to them from the Lord as they're brought up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord you see it's not the will of my father Jesus says that even one of these little ones should perish the will of the Father as Saint Paul says is rather that all should be saved and should come to the knowledge of the truth Our heavenly father wills it. He wills it. And so his only begotten son does it. The father wills it, the son does it. The perfectly obedient son does it. He seeks out and he saves because the father wills it. He seeks out and he saves that which was lost, today's gospel says and for our sake his divine will and his holy resolve to save the souls of us put his only begotten son on his knees think about that the only begotten son of God the only perfectly obedient son of God put on his knees God on his knees as he comes to seek us out and to save us on his knees as God the son the eternal son of the everlasting father because becomes what we are becomes our flesh, becomes our blood and our bones. God humbling himself to become man, literally getting on his knees to seek us out as he crawled into the darkness of our sinful cities, as he crawls into the little dark crevices in which he might find lost sinners, into a cave where he'd be born among cattle and sheep and shepherds, and later Into a cave in which was hidden the possessed man out of whom he would cast demons. Into the quarries outside of the towns and the cities where only lepers lived. Into the crowded lower room of a home where a man is lowered through the roof that he might be healed in body but only after his soul has been forgiven. Into the upper room of a home where a dead young girl responds to his word, Tabatakumi, little girl, I say to thee, rise up, or outside the stench in the darkness of the tomb where he calls out loudly to his friend, Lazarus, come forth, and he does. Here and there throughout the darkened streets where humanity is hidden or hiding others until finally Jesus is literally on his knees as he's whipped and as he's flogged and as he's beaten literally on his knees as he falls beneath the weight of the cross that he carries for you and for me until finally he's lifted up on that cross where he there suffers the ultimate outer darkness of sinners where scripture says there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. On his knees Jesus, on his knees for sinners, taking our punishment unto himself that we might forever know the light of heaven's eternal day rather than cower in the crawl spaces of hell's endless night. You see, it's not the will of my father, Jesus says, that even one of these little ones should perish. And so parents, grandparents, perish the thought that any of them would spend time on your knees praying that not one of them will time on your knees telling them about christ and why they won't in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen